In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Joshua, now chapters 16 and 17. In our chapters for today, we learn about how the land in the promised land was divided among the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Chapter 16 outlines the specific boundaries and cities within Ephraim's territory, while chapter 17 delves into how the land was assigned to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Notably, it tells the story of Zelophehad's daughters, who successfully advocated for their rightful share of the land. This passage highlights God's faithfulness in fulfilling the promise of providing land for the Israelites as they settle in Canaan following their exodus from Egypt. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, October 9th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. LHF can also provide mission speakers for your congregation. In fact, my congregation is welcoming a speaker from LHF on our Stewardship Sunday. Our focus is going to be on our stewardship of God's Word, something the Lutheran Heritage Foundation knows all about. So again, you can learn more about all that they can do for you and what you might be able to do for them at lhfmissions.org. Well, today's text is much like the previous chapter. It's a list of names and places which can, when read apart from the rest of the book like we're doing today, present some challenges to talk about, but I have no doubt that my guest this morning will help us unpack what we can, so please join me in welcoming back to the program the Reverend Doug Gribbenau. He's a pastor and also the mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Gribbenau. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, Pastor Pooh, and good morning, brothers and sisters. It, it's always a joy to be with you all, delving into God's Word, even if what we have really is just a a textual description of a map, which can be not the most exciting of Scripture. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm always reminded that all these things, all of Scripture, God-breathed and, and useful for teaching and reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And I think there's no small part here of a, a training to treasure God's Word, even when it's not, you know, first top of mind, the most exciting part of Holy Scripture. But you know, and even in a good movie, you have that time where you have to establish things and build things out. And this is part of what that's doing. Well, it's like I tell my confirmands or my catechumens, I'll say, listen, you know, sometimes things are important, even if they're not, you know, <laughs> super engaging. So like we have the list of genealogies or chronicles or all the begats. And in this case, this, this sort of textual description of a map, kind of like trying to describe a dream to someone, God has revealed these things to us for some very good reasons. Um, and it only really becomes difficult when we're trying to like take it completely out of context and then talk about it for an hour, which we're not going to do. Of course, we're going to address it as it uh, applies to the rest of the book. But yeah, these texts can be challenging, but I'm glad that folks are joining us today. I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation. But Let's uh, get into the Bible, but before we do that, would you lead us in a prayer, brother? Of course, and let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, your word is a, a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. As we come and delve into the words of Joshua, recorded here in chapters 16 and 17, that your Holy Spirit would be with us to illumine us, to guide us, 
to keep us diligent in the study of this word, that with right discernment and with an open mind, we may come to know the glories that you have revealed to us in your holy scriptures, especially the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, I think today, instead of sort of catching up first, I think we'll just read a couple of verses and then we'll, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll catch up. So starting with chapter 16, the first verse from the English Standard Version. The allotment of the people of Joseph went from the Jordan by Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, into the wilderness, going up from Jericho into the hill country to Bethel. Then, going from Bethel to Luz, it passes along to Ataroth, the territory of the Archites. Then it goes down westward to the territory of the Japhletites, as far as the territory of lower Beth Horon, then to Gezer, and it ends at the sea. The people of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim received their inheritance. Okay. That's just four verses. We are going to pause already. Um, the next section talks specifically about the people of Ephraim. But uh, so here we have more allotments of territory. Yesterday, when well, actually it was Thursday, when we talked about the previous chapter, we 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 noticed that primary primarily uh, it was focusing on Judah. Judah was the first chosen. Judah gets the best of the land. Judah gets um, the largest portion of the land. And as we're going to see, everything else kind of gets divided up a little uh, less and less specifically. You know, we have Ephraim, we have Manasseh, and then uh, tomorrow when we finish up sort of the allotments, really the rest of the clans just, it's just by lots, right? Just cast lots. I think there's even some here. Um, Why, brother, is there this emphasis on Judah kind of over and against the rest. I mean, we we know from Scripture, I guess, that Judah is has always been foretold as being, um, gosh, I don't know how to rank it, but just uh, preeminent among the clans. Well, and looking sort of historically, uh, Judah is really the last of these allotments. Uh, once you know, the course of history has taken place, and we have conquering wars and when we really come to the time of Christ, the last of these territories that really sort of sits intact, if you will, is Judah. And, and, and part of that is, you know, this is where Jerusalem is, where we're going to have, you know, the Judeans, where Christ is going to be incarnate and do his ministry, his earthly ministry, uh, his road to, to Golgotha and to endure all the temptations of our life, to perform his miracles, to preach his word, to declare the kingdom of heaven. All of this work is going to take place around then. And so I, I don't think we, we discount Judah uh, because it, it is that place where, where the physical reality of our redemption is wrought and, 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 it's, and it's established. Now, you know, being the people in this point in time, if we were to just be sitting there with Joshua, and you know the lots falling and so on and so forth. There's a there's a good reason why we have Judah coming first, but we wouldn't necessarily see or know that. Uh, delving into Scripture uh, with our eyes now, looking backwards, we see the importance and and the preeminence of Judah in the work that is to be done and the work that our Lord has done for us. 
But for people in that point in time, uh, this probably was just, well, that's where the lot fell. Okay, I guess we'll start with these guys. <laughs> but you, you know, the Lord, his hand continues to work. He works through means in our salvation. And, and I guess that's what's standing out through. to Oh, sorry, brother. I'll just say that's what stands out to me because we know, of course, you know, the, the Savior comes from Judah. Uh, but back then, I, I don't know that they would have, obviously, they wouldn't have made that connection, but I don't know that they were even kind of maybe even understanding that Judah is being lifted up as sort of the most important tribe. But um, when we get to the allotments, you know, now we have uh, these Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to get their allotments. And even they are kind of being held up a little higher than the people, the rest of the tribes in chapter 18. In 18, it's kind of like, well, and then everybody else. Yeah, everyone so, else. Let's get to right. it. <laughs> well, um, so talk to us a little bit about um, just the first few verses here, right? So they, the allotment of the people of Joseph went from the Jordan by Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, into the wilderness, going up to the hill country of Bethel. Um this area east of the, no, sorry, west of the Jordan, west of the mm -hmm. Jordan, um, is um, where they're dividing it up. But people are still living there, right? I mean, this allotment isn't like, you know, oh, hey, you guys can all go. We're here now. <laughs> they're going to have to fight for this land. So I think that's another, uh, I guess, uh, anachronism about this text because it's speaking as though it's just kind of a gift. Here you go. Go take it. Go enjoy but really, we know that there's going to be a lot more to it besides just the allotment. They're going to have to actually fight for these places. And, you know, you bring out an interesting point. The first verse here in chapter 16, you know, the allotment, which is really just descriptive of the way in which this was done, that they, they cast lots as to how this is done. So, you know, the Lord's hand is working there, uh, you know, the hidden hand of God through these lots that they're tossing around as to what is going to go where to whom. But the fourth verse, the last one we read in this first section here, refers to these as their inheritance. And what is the reality of an inheritance? It, it, it can be something that is fully realized here and now. More often than not, I think, when we talk about inheritance, we're talking about something that is a future promise. It is tangible. It exists. But do you fully possess it yet? No. I know that my parents, uh, thanks be to God, still living but there is an inheritance waiting for my brother and I. It is, it is there, it is real, it exists, but it is not fully realized for me. In this same way, the, the, the people of God have come in, into this land of Canaan, which is the Lord's. He fully holds it, and, and, it's, and it's his. And how it is being given as an inheritance. Partially realized, but yeah, not fully realized, because there is still yet activity that must take place. And as we'll see in chapter 16 and 17, uh, some of that activity that yet remains um, is not completed <laughs> because the truth is people you know, thousands of years ago are really just like you and I. And sometimes, you know, we've done a whole bunch of hard work and we just peter out and say, you know what? It's good enough. <laughs> and we leave some things undone. <laughs> And this is not necessarily the right way to approach things, especially when it's been commanded by God. So a little teaser for the end of 16 and 17. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Well, and we also see here just a little hint that, you know, Joseph, or the people of Joseph in this case, um, they're receiving a 
double inheritance. And this is going to come up in 17 here in a minute. But they and that's interesting. This- you, you mentioned this also is that yeah. there these two, you know, Manasseh and Ephraim, they're referred to as the people of Joseph as, as a singular. And yet they have this, this sort of huge double application. That's worth sort of noting that these two are loved so much that they're, they're singularly brought there as, as just the people of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Well, let's keep on reading, starting with uh, verse 5. The territory of the people of Ephraim by their clans were as follows. The boundary of their inheritance on the east was Ataroth Adar, as far as upper Beth Horon, and the boundary goes from there to the sea. On the north is Mikmathath, then on the east the boundary turns around toward Ta'anath Shiloh and passes along beyond it on the east to Genoa. Then it goes down from Genoa to Ataroth and to Naara and touches Jericho, ending at the Jordan. From Tapua, the boundary goes westward to the brook Kana and ends at the sea. Such is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Ephraim by their clans, together with the towns that were set apart for the people of Ephraim within the inheritance of the Massonites, uh, Manassites, pardon me, all those towns with their villages. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. That actually ends chapter 16. So pretty succinct chapter here. Uh, But we have the Ephraim, the Ephraimites, the people there. We have this visual, or actually I should say textual depiction of something that should be visual, a map. I recommend folks at home, Google it, grab a map, look in the maps in your Bible that might help. Um, In the Lutheran Study Bible, uh, there's a lovely map on page 365, if you have it in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, exactly. Um, And and yeah, great resource. Definitely uh, recommend people to have that Bible. So we have here uh, this right here, and um, yeah, I, I think what stands out to me about this text, besides, of course, just the textual description, is this this comment at the end about how they did not drive out the Canaanites. Um, you know, this is something that the Israelites sometimes get in trouble with for purposefully not driving them out. Sometimes they just aren't able to do it or don't do it. Uh, but it does mention here that the that those who remain, the Canaanites, were made to do forced labor. I think that might be something worth focusing on because, again, to our modern sensibilities, you know, we look at that and we might be aghast at the idea that God is sending them in to wipe these people out as judgment against them. But then we're also probably aghast when we hear things like they're forced into servitude. And, and, and we think, well, didn't the Israelites get rescued from servitude? And, and how, is, how is slavery being condoned by the Bible? And of course, is it is the other question. So um, take us through whatever you want, of course, but I definitely want to talk about that a little bit. Well, you know what? We'll take it in the order that it comes, uh, and because uh, the tantalizing end here is at the is at the end. But there's something that we maybe skip over at the very beginning. In verse four, we're talk we're told the people of Joseph are Manasseh and Ephraim, and they are listed according to worldly convention. Manasseh being the oldest, Ephraim being the younger, and yet then in verse five. The territory of the people of 
Ephraim. Mm. This yeah, calls that. back to mind in Genesis chapter 48 uh, when, uh, when uh, uh, Jacob is, uh, is in very advanced in age and it's time to give some blessings. So both of Joseph's sons, right, Manasseh, Ephraim, they come in and in verse 17 of Genesis 48, um, <laughs> or uh, excuse me, the, um, uh, what, yeah, see, Joseph sees that, that Jacob has taken his hand of blessing and he's put it on, on the wrong son. He's put it on Ephraim. And, and so <laughs> Joseph says, oh, poor dad, you know, <laughs> he takes his hand <laughs> And in verse 18, he says to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Verse 19, but his father, Joseph, refused, or his father, Jacob, refused, said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So Joseph thinks the old Jacob's just kind of lost it here. Let me fix this for you. Mm-hmm. And Jacob's like, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. The hand of blessing is going to be upon Ephraim. And so here in Joshua, Ephraim is established first. He's of the combined territory of the peoples of Joseph. Ephraim the younger and those clans get this allotment first. And then we hear Manasseh. And more than that, if we look here in Joshua 16, we have, you know, in the, amidst this long textual description, we have in verse, let's see here, verse 9, if my reading glasses are correct, together with the towns that were set apart for the people of Ephraim within the inheritance of the Manassites. So Ephraim even gets little pockets of, of inheritance within the land that's going to be granted to Manasseh. And they don't get the, the, the surrounding countrysides, but they get the cities. They get these little population centers so, um, so preeminent over his brother is this younger brother's clan, you know, the, the Ephraim uh, clan. And, and that's really worth noting, not just in the order of, of how they are mentioned, but that even they are given cities, you know, the, the, perhaps the more valuable piece uh, within this territory that that the Lord has granted to the Manassites. I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, that completely escaped me. But what a great connection to not only biblical history, but man, it just shows you God's got this worked out. He is in control, (laughs) you know? I mean, God has honored that blessing um, even here, you know, so much later. And my question then, just sort of piggybacking on what you're talking about, is, and, and I, well, let me just ask, would the people, in your estimation, would they have been, like when they're hearing this, would they have been, oh yeah, this makes sense? Would they have made those connections, you think? Or uh, would there just be sort of a lot of like, well, I don't know why this is happening or a confusion. Just Joshua, you know, does he have all this in mind when he's orchestrating these things? Or is God having to bring this back to their remembrance? Is there anything in the Bible that speaks to that? You understand what I'm asking? I'm just wondering if if we can look back and say, wow, look at that connection. I just wonder if the people on the ground see it. And, 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 and then, of course, a follow-up to that is, 
if they do or they don't, in our day and age, how often are we ignorant to God's working? You know, we, we might see something similar to this and say something like, well, I, I'm jealous or I'm envious or I, I wish it would work out different. But the truth is God knows what he's doing. So uh, take it from there. I mean, do the people really understand what's going on? You know, I'm going to actually, I'm, I'm going to do a strange thing. I'm going to pop into the epistles to the New Testament here. Oh, I love it. And, and I'm looking in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, uh, especially verse 11. You know, speaking of the Old Testament, right? Uh, the, the body of recorded history of God's people, right? Now, these things happen to them as an example. You know, the whole of what they've been through, right? But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. They're written down for, for us today. Because the reality is the way they behave is the way we behave. And unfortunately, we don't often learn from history. These things happen to them as an example. They're written down for our instruction. But I know if, if you're like me, uh, you know, I don't often learn from history sometimes. And I need the holy two by four across the forehead sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't always learn from it. And I think no matter which way you have here, uh, people amongst the tribes who you know, had faithfully remembered these things, people who didn't, uh, the reality is that when you're in the midst of these things happening, the allotment of land, I'm not sure how many of those folks were saying, oh, that's great. Eph I'm so glad for you, Ephraim. You, that's great. No, our first inclination, just that old Adam is, why, why do those guys get, I know they've got that like blessing, but golly, I'm just, I'm feeling really cheated. <laughs> you know. So there is, and, and we see it today, especially you know, when we're talking here about inheritance, right? It's it's kind of like at the end of of you know the the funeral, and then it comes time to execute that will, and there's fighting, and it doesn't matter how close your family has been, how not the passions, right? Passions are running high, thinking is maybe not the greatest, and people people's feelings are hurt, uh, even even wise and gentle folks. In the midst of these sort of events, it becomes a challenge. Now we don't have here like you know a, a death and and a distribution, but this is this is you know the inheritance of the land that they've been warring in, that they've been battling through, they've they've been going through struggles, and now it's time for this land to be distributed. It's a, it's also a very passionate time, a, a time of great relief, also a time of great struggle. And I would dare say, even if they were looking ahead or looking back, that that may not be first in their minds. We often look first to ourselves and say, well, what about me? You know what this also reminds me of, though? It reminds me of Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon, the Lord says. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And of course, the hairs on the back of our Lutheran necks start saying, oh, wait a minute. But there is a biblical testimony that people will receive differing rewards in heaven according to their lives. And what that exactly looks like, we don't know. But one thing most scholars agree is that because we'll be confirmed in our righteousness, if one person seems to receive some sort of greater reward in heaven than we do, we won't be jealous, but we will rejoice in that. But until then... That's certainly not the case, right? We're tempted to be envious and we're tempted to be covetous. But there is this reality that the allotments in heaven, whatever that looks like in the new heavens and the new earth, 
whatever that looks like, there are going to be differing rewards according to the works or the lives of the lives of the people who are, uh, reach it. So I, I, again, that's a very complicated concept. People struggle with it, but it kind of makes sense in this context, right? Think of the allotments in heaven, but instead of being envious, we'll go, that's, you know, we'll just rejoice with God's will. And, and and the fact is that those are going to be perfect. Right? These are perfect allotments that we look forward to in the right. new heavens and the new earth. And, and really, even even because the gift is going to be so perfect, and we'll finally be free from sin, you know, it, it's going to be wonderful, and we will all rejoice together. Um, and and no no lamentations, right? <laughs> There's right. no gnashing of teeth anymore, uh, because everything is is glorious. And that would be the right response here in this allotment to rejoice at what others have received, to rejoice in what they have, and 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 to rejoice in what we have been given, to receive it all as gift. And that really then does take us back uh, to the gospel, because it is a gift. It is the free gift of God, the, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, life eternal that has been won for us by Christ Jesus, a free gift. And, and we struggle in our flesh and our passions to understand what what a gift truly is, right? We always sort of think that there's a quid pro quo behind it. But here is this gift, and it is given, and rejoice and be glad in it. And what God has given to his people of old, establishing and laying down the work of, the, of redemption that we'll have in Christ Jesus, and then that redemption, that we rejoice in it. And we, know, and we don't look at it as a competition or a struggle or whose gifts is better, but to really truly understand a gift as being fully free and, and a wonderful blessing. And there's nothing expected of it, but simply to receive and give thanks. Well, I think that's a good word for us to pause on as we take our break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Gribbenhaw and I will keep on going. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw, pastor and mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Dear Saints, thanks for taking the time to be with us in God's Word this morning or whenever you're listening. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can send a message to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to my guest, you can also email me and I'll pass the message along. You can also find me on Facebook. You can also drop a note just to say hi, even if you don't have a question. But when you do, please let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show, whether you're listening over the air, as a podcast, online at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO radio app. I'm always interested in how you're uh, connecting and joining with us in God's Word. 
So let's get right back to it. Now, Pastor Gribbenaw, so we just wrapped up, and you beautifully wrapped up this connection, of course, to uh, the fact that we are saved through Christ, and it's always about Jesus, and that's good news. Um, anything else, though, before we kind of look at that number, that chapter, verse 10, rather, pardon me, verse 10, about the Canaanites and the forced labor? Anything else you want to bring out? Well, you know, I'm just going to put a pin on that because we see, you know, the, the Canaanites with the forced labor. If you go back to chapter 15, they failed to drive out the Canaanites. Um, and, and, if, and you know, chapter 17 failed to drive out the Canaanites. Uh, so this is really one whole sort of whole discussion. So let's, let's take this forced labor and the Canaanites. We're going to set them on the shelf. And I think we, we, we droll through uh, chapter 17, and then we look at this whole body together. Sounds good. I mean, it will come up again. And in fact, it comes up time and again, this idea that they are failing to drive out the Canaanites, which of course the Canaanites are going to lead them into idolatry. So plenty to discuss about that. We'll keep on going then at your request, starting at chapter 17, verse 1. Then allotment was made to the people of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. To Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, were allotted Gilead and Bashan, because he was a man of war. And allotments were made to the rest of the people of Manasseh by their clans, Abiezer, Helek, Asriel, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemida. These were the male descendants of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their clans. Now Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. They approached Eleazar, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, Yahweh commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So, According to the mouth of Yahweh, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions, because the land of Gilead and Bashan, which is on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughter, besides rather, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. All right, uh, pausing there. So, Popping up, of course, is this idea that Manasseh is getting his. Uh, we have his sons, but he also has daughters, and the daughters are standing up for themselves. They're advocating for themselves. That's a, an interesting uh, uh, point of this text. Uh, take us through this, brother. What's important? Certainly. Yeah, so now we, we turn to the allotment of, of Manasseh, the elder son of Joseph, but uh, the the second in this primacy of, of of blessing, right? And if we literally look at 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 a map, or we try to focus this uh, uh, these words into our mind's eye, Manasseh is really actually a, a larger body of land, but not necessarily the prime land. So Ephraim has gotten the prime land. Manasseh really actually has more land, but maybe not as readily useful. Uh, in 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 terms of you know the, the cultivation of crops and and the usefulness of of the fields, so we have a, you know the allotment, and some theologians have, have sort of made a little bit of hay over the fact that uh, you know when we have Ephraim, it's talked about as an inheritance. 
when we have here, it's this allotment. It's just, you know, it's what's been apportioned to them. Uh, but I think the, the the wording echoes what has been used in 16 in establishing what these are, that these are allotments, that this is an inheritance. And in fact, we'll even hear again that this is actually uh, in 16. It's talking about the, you know, the inheritance of the Manassites. So if, if there's some who are trying to make a, a, a big deal out of the fact that they use the word allotment in the beginning of chapter 17, I, I think it's just, it's the word that was chosen, but I don't see any sort of a firm difference really being made between this is an inheritance and this is an allotment. As if, oh, I had to give something to the Manassites, you know, the Lord says, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to give something to the Ephraimites. So I, I think that's reading too much into Holy Scripture, but I know there are some theologians out there uh, that, that sort of see that and say, oh, there's something there. Um, for me, I think it was a textual word choice. And, uh, and the Lord is, is doing for all the people as, as he wills, and, and joyfully too. But yeah, I agree enough. with you. I agree with you yeah. on that point. I mean, sometimes I think we all read a little too much. I mean, we, we know that there are characteristics of Hebrew, for instance, the repetition of words uh, for emphasis. We know that, of course, sometimes it's very poetic, uh, chiasms and all that. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> sometimes um, it, you know, you might change up words just because it makes reading it easier. If every time they said allotment or every time they said inheritance, uh, then we'd have whole books written on why it was mentioned, you know, so many times or whatever. I, I, I often think that the scriptures are really a lot easier to understand than some of even our best theologians make it seem to be. And having read some of those theological books, uh, sometimes scripture is easier to understand than some of the commentaries. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but but the, the yeah the the most interesting part that we've that we've approached here, and it's really a significant portion of seventeen, is is these daughters, and 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 so you know we're we're tempted to sit here. Maybe we've recently heard about you know Joseph and his brothers and. And, uh, and, you know, after, after dad dies and the brothers make up this whole thing, oh, dad said to us, Joseph, that you need to be nice to us now. <laughs> but in this case, the daughters are not, you know, engaging in any sort of nefarious activity or making something up and hoping no one's going to catch them. There truly is this promise that these daughters will, will receive an inheritance, you know, according to their father. Uh, and and it, it actually takes place in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, where the Lord says to Moses uh, in verse, beginning of verse six and verse seven, the daughters uh, Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possessions of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Because they, they, they rightly asked in verse four, why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he had no sons. Give it to us possession. Right? And so this name, and this is again, fully contradictory to the way that the world works, right? Just not the way it's done. But here the Lord has said, yes, the daughters are right. They should receive this inheritance. And here they're being then calling upon that promise that they should receive this inheritance. So completely contrary to the way things are done, contrary to the way the world works. uh, And once again, the Lord working in his way and not in ours, that promise is held. And these daughters receive this inheritance. And it's a really good thing for us to remember that when the Lord makes his promise, he will surely keep it, right? Because he is faithful, even if we're faithless, which is what we see in Holy Scripture time and time again. 
I, especially if you're writing, you know, first, you know, the end of chapter 16, the end of 17, they failed to drive out the Canaanites, right? Even if we're faithless, God is faithful. His promise has been made and he will do it. This promise of to these daughters, he will do it. And he's done it here. The promise to Ephraim, to Manasseh, to, to Judah, uh, to each, well, really, the promise to Adam and Eve of the Messiah who is to come and who will be realized there in this land that God's people are taking possession of. And that promise that we have seen realized in the incarnation, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Well, you talk about the God keeping his promises despite our unfaithfulness. What I see here too, though, is a confidence in not only the decision of Moses, but more importantly, the word and promise of God on behalf of these daughters. I mean, you talk about not the way things are done. Well, these daughters are advocating for themselves. They're going to uh, you know, Joshua and those who are in charge and saying, hey, 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 you know, God has made a promise. And, and I think we see here, too, them standing on those promises of the Lord. Amen. You know, the confidence we have that God has said it shall be, and so it shall. Uh, and that's a wonderful, really a wonderful Christian example of faith to stand on that promise of God. Let's keep on going. Verse 7, the territory of Manasseh reached from Asher to uh, Mich- uh, Michmethath, which is east of Shechem. Then the boundary goes along southward to the inhabitants of Entapua. The land of Tapua belonged to Manasseh, but the town of Tapua on the boundary of Manasseh belonged to the people of Ephraim. Then the boundary went down to the brook Cana. These cities to the south of the brook among the cities of Manasseh belong to Ephraim. Then the boundary of Manasseh goes on the north side of the brook and ends at the sea, the land to the south being Ephraim's and that to the north being Manasseh's, with the sea forming its boundary. On the north, Asher is reached, and on the east, Issachar. Also in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Bethshean and its villages, Iblim and its villages, and the inhabitants of Dor and its villages and the inhabitants of Endor and its villages, and the inhabitants of Tanakh and its villages, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. The third is Naphath. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. All right, pausing there at the end of 13. Anything about that text that stands out? Well, where did we hear that before? <laughs> With the land allotted to the Ephraimites, right? Ah, yes. They did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. And then we have here, the, you know, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. You know, they just... They, it, it, and the point here is why? I mean, why is it that... These people who have been engaged in, in, in battle uh, for their promised land, the land of Canaan, right, with the Canaanites, they have in their experience, right, back in, in Joshua chapter 7, when they were battling and they turned against the will of the Lord, they broke faith, you know, they went up against Ai and, and were completely just crushed and then returning with the Lord delivering them battle after battle after battle after battle. And yet here now, 
they just don't they don't follow through and 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 i really do wonder what was going on in their minds you know having witnessed and experienced all this why not finish what the lord has given you to do drive out the canaanites that the land is yours and i think it really comes down to the fact that you know sometimes we just say that's good enough and we let it be and it's almost as if this this wording um but i've been made to do forced labor uh, oh they put the canaanites to forced labor as if well you know we didn't drive them out but you know because god told us to and we didn't do it but you know what we we, we made them slaves right so, so we did something yeah, good enough but i think there's also a self-serving uh, nature to this as well. Well, we've come into this land. There's a whole lot of land, and there's a whole lot of things. And well, we're, we've we've just gotten here, and there's people that are here. We could make them do some of the work too. Mm-hmm. You know, with two of us in the field, we can get twice as much done. Or just with one Canaanite out there, I could sit back and and you know kick back, relax, and the work will get done. So I think there's this sort of selfishness, a self-servingness that, you know, we've got these this free labor here. We'll just make it, make them do it instead of us. Comes around to sort of bite them in the backside mm-hmm. uh, over and over again. But, you know, the text doesn't tell us what was in the mind of the people. But knowing that humanity really, in its fallenness, hasn't changed all that much. Uh, I think there's, there's good greens to say, you know, just they got kind of lazy. They they just didn't want to finish that, and they've got some free labor there. You know, well, we'll we'll, we'll get them. We'll get them back. You know, we kept fighting them, but you know, now we'll make them do some work. There's a whole lot of reasons, practical, worldly, selfish reasons, why this is maybe a better idea, but it's not the way the Lord has commanded them to do, and the reason being that the ways of the Canaanites, still living there in their land. Their ways will continue to uh, to tempt people to fall away from the Lord. Their cultural practices, their peoples, it will be a temptation to which the people will succumb. And they'll fall from the Lord as we see in Scripture over and over and over again. And eventually, we also have in the book of Judges that that the Lord's hand finally says, you know what, it's time that, that you be disciplined. And, and his hand is removed from the people. But then he delivers to them judges, right? To bring them redemption, to call them back from this again. Because his promise is sure, and he disciplines as a father who loves his children. And that's and so we, we have, really have to keep that in perspective. The Lord did not have a, a, a great, uh, you know, he just wanted to make them do a bunch of things because he likes to make people dance. There was a point and a purpose for their protection, for their their spiritual welfare, uh, their cultural welfare, their, their, for them, their own personal welfare, that the Canaanites would be driven out, and they didn't do it. And what the Lord did not want for them is what happens, and 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 He has to discipline because He loves them. One of the reasons why I wanted to highlight this passage, besides the fact that it clashes with our sensibilities, is that. A lot of people look at this and they say, see, the, the, the people of God are enslaving people, therefore, or even the fact it's mentioned in the Bible, therefore, God condones slavery. And I just think it's an important point, and you've illustrated it well, better than I could have, 
But I just want people to know that just because the people of God do something doesn't mean it has the permission or or that it's according to the will of God. How often is God's name besmirched because the people of God do something against his will? And yet it's just another reminder, not only in their specific situation, God wanted the Canaanites removed because they're going to lead them into idolatry. But in our day, God doesn't want us to go into sin because it's good for us and it tarnishes our witness if we do. But but just that, whenever we strive to live outside of God's will, it's not just about us, but it reflects on God. And, and God doesn't need us to defend his name, but we're certainly not doing the kingdom any favors if we're living in a way that doesn't witness to the goodness and glory of God. And in holy baptism, God gives you his name. What right. a treasure that is. And you bear and you wear it. And you you then, you know, what you do reflects upon the one whose name has been given to you. And, and I think we often forget that, you know, especially because we, we even think our own secret sins, right? The ones that no one else knows about. Well, the Lord knows of it. And he has given you his name. And, <laughs> and the reality is, even though our our sinful eyes don't see it. Even these secret sins, which we do in secret, are harmful to us and harmful to our Father in heaven and truly are harmful to those around us, even if we do not see. Partly why. These things have been written for our learning. <laughs> they happen to them as an instruction, written for our learning, so that we might not you know, fall into these temptations. Well, let's move on to the rest of our chapter. And we do shift gears a little bit. In fact, the narrative comes back a little bit, which we're going to be happy about. Uh, let's look at verse 14. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, although I am a numerous people, since all along Yahweh has blessed me? And Joshua said to them, If you are a numerous people, Go up by yourselves to the forest, and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough for us, yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Shean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots of iron, and even though they are strong. Um, so the first thing that stands out to me, and it's, it's a very minor point, but I just love how the people of Joseph is a collective singular. And in the quotation here, it's, why have you given me? I, I don't know. I just, I, I, that's just really that a very unifying language. Well, and, and how, how, how totally human, fallen human that is. You've been given this great gift. And the very next thing is, yeah, you know, I think it's maybe not so great. Can you give me more? <laughs> Being that I have toddlers and young children, you know, oh, hey, here, here is a Starburst, right? Starburst are the really cool candy right now. That's that's what they love. Here's a Starburst. You did a great job with this or that. And, and you know, before it's even in the mouth, can I have another one? <laughs> that's sort of what this is here. 
oh, oh yeah, you know well, this, this this land we need more <laughs> i i got to i got to say uh, one example of this which is a, a keen one is um a woman comes into the pawn stars you guys have seen pawn stars perhaps mm -hmm. She comes into the pawn shop and she has this Fabergé brooch and she wanted $2,000 for it. And so Rick, who's, and maybe this was all scripted, I don't know, but Rick, who's famously uh, stingy, he says, I can't give you $2,000 for it. It's worth too much. I want to give you $15,000 for it. So he's wanting to give her far more than she asked because he doesn't want to Rip her off. Cheat her. Yeah. Right. So then she goes, oh, 15, huh? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, how about 20? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you came in looking for two. <laughs> You're getting like whatever, 15. But no, now that you know it's more valuable, there's not enough. So I get that sense too. It's like you have all this this land, you have this great gift, and then you're like, well, yeah, but there's a lot of us. And I actually, I like Joshua's response. He says, well, if there's a lot of you, then you got plenty of hands to go make you some more land. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, they, they actually in this in this statement, you know, you've given us but one lot and one portion as an inheritance, even though I am a numerous people, right? I am numerous, right? The first thing he says is, well, if you are numerous, well, there's all this land, there's all these forests. Yeah, you're going to have to work for it a little bit. You're going to have to do a little bit of labor. You know, it's a fixer-upper, if you will. But it's all yours. And, it's, <laughs> right. and, it's, and you know, if you're numerous, you know, as you said you were, you go ahead and do it. And then the excuses start rolling off the tongue. Oh, well, but down in there, they've got these chariots of iron, which is to say that, that they had, you know, they were very high-quality, very strong chariots, you know, not entirely made of iron, likely, but, you know, fair amount of wood but they had the you know, iron axles iron wheels things like that hard to engage in battle hard to defeat and it's it's imposing right a little bit scary um but so finally he says you know and i love this joseph says you know we're a numerous people and so joshua says well if you are numerous you got all this land clear out the fields you got it's it'll be great fixer upper just don't be lazy it's almost what it's saying well, so then Joseph, Joshua says to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and to Manasseh, you are a numerous people and you have great power. It's, a, it's he's really bolstering them up and he's saying that you are exactly what you said. You do have great power. There's been so many great things that have happened. We are God's chosen people, right? You shall not have one allotment only. The hill country shall be yours. All this was given, right? Uh, for though it is a forest, you'll clear it, you'll possess it to its farthest borders. You will do these things. And it's it's not even that he's telling him to do it as much as he is saying, this is part of the promise that's been given. It will take place. It will happen. You will do this. It's a wonderful bit of, uh, of I might say, like a, a gospel admonition, you know, mm -hmm. an encouragement. Uh, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, even though they have chariots fire, even though they are strong. You know, and, and so here it almost starts to sound a little like a Disney movie. You just have to believe in yourself. <laughs> but that well, would be the wrong way to do. No, what you need to do is believe in the Lord who has made exactly. this promise to you. And go and, forth and, and, and stand even though in that he's promise. Not, even though he's not explicit about, you know, remember the Lord's promises, I absolutely believe that's what he's talking about and because i think yes there is an envy that's going on right the ephraimites they're kind of the ringleaders they're a little upset they're jealous they want this extra land 
But I think also behind their complaint isn't so much that they want more land, it's that they want different land because I believe they're afraid of the Canaanites because Mm -hmm. when they're pressed, then they start saying things not about we don't have enough land or we're too many people. Their complaints end up being, well, they have chariots of iron. And so he's like reminding them, you're powerful, you're numerous. And and I think it's an unstated, uh, uh, unstated here. But I think behind that is God has blessed you with numerous people. You said you yourself said it. And he's blessed you with great power. And I love this last sentence, as you brought out too. Um, He doesn't say, don't worry, if you work really hard, you'll be fine. He just lays it out. You're going to drive out the Canaanites, even though they have all these things that make you afraid. Again, unstated, but that's obviously because Yahweh has promised them. And wonderful reflection. You have the daughters who are standing in that promise. And now Joshua encouraging the people of Joseph right, to stand in that promise. Amen to that. I love it. Well, we're here at the end of the program. Uh, last minute or so is all yours. Say whatever you'd like. You know, I, I, I love wrestling with Holy Scripture, even though sometimes it's daunting, even though sometimes it feels like we're just not going to get anything out of it. Stand in that promise that all Scripture is God-breathed and worthy and useful for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So don't be afraid to engage with Holy Scripture. Don't be afraid to wrestle with it. And don't let it be intimidating, even if it looks boring or Mm. looks impossible to understand. Wrestle with it. Struggle with it. And don't let the text go, even if it touches your hip socket, until you get that blessing. Amen. Oh, I love it. I love it. And that's why we'll that's what we'll end the program on. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw, pastor and mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the program. Thank you all. Tomorrow, folks, we turn the page to Joshua 18. Now, still tune in. You've heard it, right? We're gonna wrestle with this scripture, but The chapter describes the continuation of the land allotment process in the promised land. It's going to focus on the remaining seven tribes of Israel who had not yet received their territories. Joshua, at God's command, instructs the remaining tribes to appoint surveyors to map the land and divide it into seven portions. And these portions would then be uh, determined for who would possess them by casting lots. We're going to talk about that, but as you can see, a lot more too. So join us tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.